serve me through what, what this ARL thing is. Well, so I was watching the game on Sunday night oh, yeah. and my husband was you know, giving me random commentary. <laughs> and I thought, actually, because so it's specifically around Cooper Cronk and the fact that he was blamed for a fractured scapula and his teammates were protecting him and, and making it possible for him to be on the field and give them direction. So um, I definitely am going to look at injured workers going to work in a very different way now. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we don't ever prescribe suit of duties like that. We're much gentler. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really interesting um, idea though in sport. And like does occupational injury in sport apply when it comes to work, workers' comp? And look, it's the same in that an injury so a torn rotator cuff is the same whether it's happening on a football field or in a factory. But often the pre-injury physical condition is much different and often the motivation to return to work or sport is much different. So those two factors do impact significantly. Okay. Um. All right, so I want to I want to kind of get into this a little bit because I want to kind of understand the landscape. Like, because it's, it's almost like for me, it's a week away from doing a workers' comp scenario for a client, and I've kind of I feel like I've forgotten everything that's got to do with that. Um, but so, um, tell me a little bit about who you are, what you do, the company you represent, um, your story a little bit, just to get us going. Okay, so I'm. Libby Roberts. I'm the founder and managing director of WRM, which is a, an occupational rehab provider. So what that means is that we work alongside employers to assist them prevent injuries through WHS. So we help them with WHS policies and procedures, injury gap analysis, manual handling training, all of that sort of stuff. And then we also help them when an injury
person and uh, keep them active in their normal workplace if the injury permits that. And so um, for employers out there, a big part of their, their risk is obviously their human risk. Um, and, and so they, what you're saying is that there's two elements to human risk. It's assessing um, what are the workplace practices that can be implemented to prevent an injury from occurring. And then after they have those processes and procedures in place, then you've got the chance that an injury does occur, which we know it does. Mm -hmm. um, you're guiding that process so that, what, what exactly, what value can you add in that particular process? So the value in having us, <coughs> pardon me, involved in guiding that process from day one, day of injury, is that it, So, so every every employer that employs staff has to has to take this out. It's a statutory obligation. Um, and so, you're saying that if they were to suffer an injury, if they were to claim, but they were to claim whilst at work, does that have a, have just as much of an impact as if the employee received benefits whilst not at work? So, just let me rephrase that so that I make sure I'm answering the question correctly. Yeah. So are you asking if there's a benefit in the employee staying at work after an injury? Correct. There is a benefit. Uh, the benefit is there's a human benefit because it's good for the worker to be at work and staying in their normal routine. There's also a financial benefit for both for the employee and the employer. So the employee will get more money if they remain at work because if they're a full-time workers' comp, So there's, and the financial benefit that the employee gets, the difference there is 5% of their wage. So if, I mean, I imagine that the general, is it right to say that the general population that once they injure themselves at work, they typically might not return to work until a full recovery? Is that where the system about? There is a mindset that you can't be at work unless you're 100% fit. And unfortunately there's that mindset GPs as well and the GPs often the first port of call and so if you go to your GP and say I've hurt myself at work the default position is oh well then you need time off and to be fully recovered but there's a, a huge body of evidence now international evidence that shows that recovery at work 
think about the general GP um, GP's knowledge about workplace injury, workers' comp regulation, law, and how they advise injured workers? Look, it, it's difficult. GPs have to be so uh, generalist and they have to know a little bit about a lot of stuff. Mm. So it's really hard for them when they see a soft tissue injury. They really are just taking the patient's musculoskeletal injuries, I imagine that there, there are various different injury classifications that occur. Um, I'm interested to know what's happening in the mental, the mental health mm -hmm. um, space. Is that, uh, I mean, I hear a lot of, um, there's a lot of new industries, a lot of new support um, industries popping up in the area of mental health at work as a result of workplace injuries. Can you tell me a bit about that? Uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of uh,
managing their risk before we need to talk about an insurance policy. And I also find that when insurers take an interest in actually mitigating risks and, and rather than having to rely on an insurance policy, I find their whole attitude changes and their, their perception and perceptiveness to what risks are actually in, in the workplace. They start to pay attention to it. And all of a sudden, you start to notice that the whole culture of risk starts to take place in the workplace and when contractors come on board, um, they're asking about their insurances and they're really taking paying attention to how they conduct their work. Um, workplace culture, I think, is, is a really broad thing and, yeah, we all have the opportunity to add some value in workplace culture, but um, help me understand what workplace culture is when it, from, you know, from your perspective. From my perspective, it's really about workplace civility. And so uh, a phrase that I really like is uh, the behaviour that you work, that, sorry, the behaviour that you walk past is the behaviour that you accept. And so to have zero tolerance for incivility as a leader in a workplace is really important because I think culture really filters from the top down. And if the leaders of the organisation Do you find yourself working more on the return to work process as opposed to the pre-injury process? We do. I mean, that's always been our bread and butter. Yeah. And for us, that's a really easy sell, for want of a better word, because the services don't cost the employer anything because we bill the insurer directly. So in terms of having to pay, there, there's no outlay. Um, there is an outlay for the WHS, for the WHS. services. Um, and at some point, I mean, what, what would drive, what drives employers to think about the, the pre-injury workplace health safety process? Because they'll happily spend money on insurance premiums, um, or not happily, but they will because they have to. Mm -hmm. um, we can generally show a lot a lot and that's seen through well if you can prevent a claim then you don't have to be impacted by the claim um, if you have a claim and, and you're far more insurable but if workers 
If, if, if employers below 30,000 are not being impacted by claims, do they have a pre-injury exposure that they can mitigate through work health safety? They do have an exposure in that they can be So, so if an employer is paying less than $30,000 in workers' comp premium, then their incentive to implement pre-injury stuff, work health safety procedures and, 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 and processes in the workplace to prevent an injury, um, is really in the cultural element in that workers will be, fewer, fewer workers will be injured. There's the financial benefit that their business will become more stable over the long term because they won't have staff not in roles. Um, but, and then the other element is that they can get a grant. But what, what drives a business that is exposed to want to invest in a safer workplace? Well, there's a legislative requirement to have It's not really a risk that, uh, or not really, that's not really something you can contract out of. That's not really something you can just rely on an insurance policy and say, well, I have that policy and that protects me. Yeah, no, because you can't contract out of the 
nature which is severe enough, they will ask the question, how, how, how negligent was the employer towards mitigating this injury? Absolutely. And, um, and that, that gets rated on a scale, and then that scale is what actually allows it to, I mean, be considered as an insurance claim for us. And if it's a pretty severe scale where the, work, where the, where the employer is seen to be more negligent um, then that is a criminal proceeding that is brought against the, the employer. Um, we had a, a client recently who were audited by Safe Work and they had a piece left because someone was injured on a piece of machinery. The machine was, it fit all the Australian standards, but when Safe Work came out, they deemed that machine was actually not up to standard. It didn't have the right on it to stop this fellow's hand going into the machine and um, yeah even though the machine they bought was certified within Australian standards so they had to then um, put a guardian on that machine to make it safe work standard. Right, sure. So you could think that you're protected but you're not actually. You know I heard of a story um, with a large food manufacturer that we um, we came across, and uh, there's these machines that once the goods come off the conveyor belt, they get put onto a pallet, and then the pallet kind of goes into the machine, and it gets it kind of gets palletized within this big machine. And these palletizing machines are really big. Um, they they store a series of pallets, and the goods come in, and it kind of gets done, and it gets spread out. And I think there was about something like twenty checkpoints that were in place and that, that safeguard that somebody couldn't be in the machine at the time that it was operating. So, you know, if the door was open, if the door was unlatched, if, you know, all these other elements that are protected. But there was still a way that this particular employee had bypassed one of these safe safety issues and um, ended up getting crushed oh in the palletizer. And uh, it all became very real to me when his family had rocked up to pick him up from work that day. Mm. And, uh, and it was a horrible experience hearing this story of my client having to walk out and face, and this had happened many, many years before I had met him. Yeah. But um, that's a pretty confronting thing. And, uh, and I understand that there was lots of legal stuff that happened after that. And, and his attitude after that was a complete drive towards safe work and, and never allowing something like that to happen. Because when you, I suppose when you realise that you've got lives on your hand mm -hmm. and those sort of things can happen, it's only up until something serious, unfortunately, and it's the same thing with general insurance. It's only when something serious enough happens that people say, I'm never going to let that happen again. Do you think people... And employers see workers' comp legislation in a positive light. I don't know. I've never thought about that. I guess it depends if they've ever had an injury or a claim. If they haven't, they probably wonder what they're paying it for. And I know that a lot of our larger clients, because their premiums are so high and their lost time actually increases their premiums, they get to the point where they think, what am 
of the day, I'm, I'm paying, you know, triple because of this lost time. And, um, yeah, it becomes quite frustrating. Uh, there has been quite a run into self-insurance, I must say. There has been a... A, a run into self-insurance. A, um, a lot of clients have become self-insured over the last couple of years. And what level do you need to be to take the option of self-insurance? I don't know. That's not my area of expertise. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to be fairly large because it's very onerous. There's mm -hmm. a lot of compliance. There's a lot of auditing every year. Look, I mean, thinking about insurance, God, like, if you had to self-insure yourself on anything, there'd have to be a serious pool of money for you to have to be able to afford to do that. Absolutely. So no doubt there'd be tons of compliance to go with that as well. Yeah. I'm always fascinated by workers' comp in the way that, I mean, when I, when I sit there and I help insure to understand the value of the insurance that I sell them every day, like building insurance, and when I help them get that level of protection, I can, I can very easily walk them through the process of if you suffered a loss, this is what your indemnity would look like. This is how long it would take us to recover based on this plan and you would get paid the shortfall in income, you'd be indemnified for your buildings, you'd be indemnified for your stock. And you know, we and, and and we structure policies to get them back on their feet. I very rarely take them through that scenario when it comes to an injured worker and how and and what I've found is that when we talk about key people in their organization and we talk about them suffering injury. That is pretty much the only time they see their business come to a complete halt. You know, when you say to somebody, um, if you didn't show up for work today, and you're talking to the head guy or the head, head lady, and she says, or, you know, if I didn't show up, there wouldn't be a business. Like, you know, things, you know, it completely changes the, the, the perspective on that. Um, so, is, is, is there enough out there, I mean, can it, insurers always just look at the premium they pay for workers' comp and they really never directly perceive a benefit to that. How are we going with communicating what they're actually, you know, seeing it in a positive light, taking them through the scenario? It's always a grudge purchase. Yeah. What, what do you think about that? Well, so few employers realise what they get with their workers' comp insurance. So, for example, they get the services of someone like me who will walk alongside them, partner with them until they need us. So, you know, I get involved with clients months, years before they actually need our services so that we get to know their business, we get to understand their culture, their people, uh, and then when they do actually, unfortunately, need return-to-work assistance, we 
a service like that that exists that is a benefit of their workers' comp. That's premium. right. And uh, I mean, if they do know that we exist, it's it's unlikely that they realise they can actually nominate to have a chosen provider work alongside them. A lot of people will just submit a claim and think that the insurer is looking after it, and then you know, six to eight weeks down the track, the insurer might send out one of their rehab panel to do return to work services, but then you've lost six to eight weeks and potentially that person's been off work for six to eight weeks, mm. which is a long time and a lot of wages. Mm. Um, so you know, that could have a huge impact at many levels on the business. But your service is available complementary with their payment of their workers' comp premium only for those people that pay $30,000 or less in workers' comp premium? Or no, is it available? Right, so you go in pre-injury. It's almost it's almost the preventative work workplace health safety process that you go through in terms of going in and just understanding what what their business runs like and what the, what roles are available in their business, and yeah. so that you're ready to catch them in the event that one of their staff suffer an injury. You go in, attend their their, their meeting with their doctor, determine what their capabilities are to return to work, mm-hmm. and then you would guide the employer as to process is going to look like and how long it's going to take so that the employer can make the appropriate um, you know, arrangements. arrangements. That's right. So we, we guide and support both the injured person and the employer so that the, the process is transparent and understandable uh, and we can also act as a liaison with the insurer because the employer, you know, they're trying to run their business mm. uh, even if they're you know, a huge business In terms of helping them with premium calculations, all the admin, all the documentation, is that really what general insurance brokers particularly do, or is there an industry out there that supports them on that as well? Yeah, so there's an industry out there who um, can support them with that, so they're workers' compensation specialists. Sure. Yeah, so some brokers do that, um, but it's definitely not what we do, that's very much technical. So, um, are there any stats in terms of that that you can kind of share with me that are that are quite you know that dear sounding to some, some people out there that run run small businesses that you know? Gosh, not off the top of my head, are we? <laughs> <laughs> I 
because um, I think I think workplace, like I said, um, I think I think workplace injury is just something that people, uh, you know, small business owners try not to focus on because it's so far from what they think is really their business. Um, but you know, like in terms of the so ninety five percent of, of the wages covered by workers' comp, if you pay less than thirty thousand in premium, but what about this shift from insurers looking after workers' comp to now one organisation, I care, looking after everything? Help me understand what's happening there. Oh, so in January this year, uh, the workers' comp scheme changed and iCare has become the nominal insurer for New South Wales. So all premiums are paid directly to iCare, the insurer, and iCare have engaged EML and GAO to manage claims. So if you have a claim at your workplace, you lodge the claim with iCare, and then down the track, sometime, EML or GAO will contact you and they will be managing that worker's return to work in terms of, you know, um, you'd be submitting your wage declarations to them and they'd be reimbursing you for the wages um, while that worker's off work. You'd be sending, you know, chemist invoices and doctor's invoices to EML or GAO and they'd be reimbursing you. So that's that sort of promote people like yourself at that time? They, no, because we, are, so they have a panel, I can have a panel of rehab providers, so they repeat referrals to those rehab providers, there are about 20 on that panel, and they tend to be larger um, organisations who are owned by corporates, and their model is quite different to ours in that they employ quite young, inexperienced staff because they're cheaper mm-hmm. and um, you know, in shareholders it's all about profit. Yeah, and that's how they get on the panel. That's right. So, um, yeah, the smaller rehab providers um, who are independent like us have a, a different model. So, I mean, we still do the same work but um, we do it in a different way and our WRM's management structure is quite flat so you can always access me So when when iCare took over, we ran an event and we invited a whole bunch of our clients to, to hear about the new reform. And, and um, one of the one of the key reasons we wanted to get our clients together was because we were of the understanding that iCare was going to look at workplaces that had good pre-injury processes in place, good work health safety. And if they could prove and, and validate that those processes were in place. Um, there would be discounts offered on premiums. Is that the same thing that you've heard, or were you of the same understanding? Yeah, I believe that that's in place. It's in place. There is some sort of premium discount, but that's not my area of expertise. Sure. And, I mean, do you, do you feel that iCare is doing things any different to what the other insurers have been doing with collection of premiums and managing claims and doing all that? 
stuff? I think that there are team problems, but I think that the um, what they're trying to achieve is really exciting. If they can get there through these team problems, it will be great. Um, yeah, watch this space. I'm not sure. What, why do you think it will be great? I think just to have one um, entity so that it's streamlined and consistent is a good thing. Um, it's not so good not having any competition in the marketplace because I remember pre-eye care, if an employer wasn't happy because they weren't getting great service with their insurer, then they could take their premium to a different insurer. Mm -hmm. And there was always that sort of threat, well, if you don't improve the service, I'm moving my policy. Mm -hmm. And um, that's gone. There's no, there's no competition now, so you just have to like it all up. But and so, I mean, so how do we, so how do employers benefit from, so the fact that it's streamlined, but who's there? So I'm really interested in the work health safety side. Who runs who runs that side for you? Or do you, do you have partners or do you do, you do that yourself? Do yeah, you uh, no, so we've got a, a fantastic guy called Glenn who runs at WHS Vision and he's ex, um, uh, he was with uh, WorkSafe in Victoria and he was a, an auditor down there. And uh, yeah, he's a, a certified practicing ergonomist and uh, yeah, he really knows his stuff. He's amazing. And do different states have you seen different um, different standards in different states? Well, the legislation is different around the country, which I think makes it tricky. Um, but in terms of safety standards, WHS standards, it's reasonably uniform. Okay. And when you say the legislation is different in in various states, is that just how they calculate premium? Uh, because of those issues. But 
New South Wales has moved to, I care. You can't do that anymore. So it's just it's a bit of a mess. And you mentioned I care as being the nominal insurer. Mm. Is there a program where if there is no workers' comp policy in place, um, that a worker is still covered by a nominal program? No. Did there used to be one? So um, I know that if a worker or if a, if a firm pays less than $7,500 in wages, then they're not required to have a workers' comp policy. But if an injury arises um, and there is a wage paid, then they can make the declaration at the time and then pay a premium. I've never heard of that. Really? Yeah, I'm in discussions at the moment with um, someone from the Small Business Council because there's a big issue with small business, micro business owners, mm. um, particularly sole traders, mm. having mental health issues because it's quite stressful running their own business. Yeah. And if they're not working, they don't get any money. So that's an issue that um, is quite topical at the moment. I'm fascinated actually how complicated that, that can be for a business that does a lot of contracting but um, might be a sole trader and they don't pay themselves any then they end up on a work site and they're injured. It's almost like whose responsibility are they? Um, you've got contractors who appear as contractors, but they, you know, they receive all their payments from one one entity, and then they become deemed employees. And then whether that contractor needs to specify those wages, I think I think that's a really complicated space for a lot of businesses, especially now that we all contract. And a lot of contracting is a very real part of, of business. When, um, have you ever been involved in a situation like that where there's a contractor and... Um, yeah, so security firms are a classic yeah. example. They use a lot of contractors and often it's quite a, a complicated web of contract mm. arrangements. Uh, but yeah, the contractors are deemed employees for purposes of workers' compensation. So if you're working at a site and you're injured, So if somebody's a sole trader, uh, or let's just say they're a single business owner receiving a wage and, and they're unable to perform the duty that they were employed to do, does this program that you know you assist businesses with mean that you actually um, place them in another alternate business? We can do that. We can place them in a host employer or until they uh, increase their capacity or we can job seek with them to find them a new role. Sure, so um, I imagine that doesn't happen that often, but if you've, if you've got an employee that 
um, can't perform duties for their employer in a limited capacity. Um, you're saying that that employee can provide duties to another employer in a capacity that they're able to perform. That's right. And uh, so we had a, an example of a long-haul uh, truck driver yeah. who couldn't drive trucks, um, mainly because he couldn't. He lived on the Central Coast and his depot was in Sydney, southwest Sydney, and he couldn't, he didn't have capacity to drive that far to get to the depot. And so we placed him in a local worksite doing suitable duties on the Central Coast until his capacity increased so that he could get to Sydney to then recommence some driving duties in Sydney. So how does that, does that actually carry any benefit to the, the employer paying the premium for that worker? Well, it does because um, his capacity is increasing and so he's becoming more work-ready. Okay. And if that employer was paying more than $30,000 in premium, does the saving in, I suppose, does, does the fact that that worker is now employed in another entity, in another capacity, does that minimise the impact on that original employer's premium? It doesn't because he's not working at his original employer. Okay. He's, he's still, his wages are still being covered by the insurer. Right. So the benefit is to the employee who is injured in that they maintain active in employment. Yeah, although that's, I would suggest that that's still a benefit for the employer because yeah. he's becoming closer to being able to return to work sure. at the original employer. Sure. Yeah, so it is sort of contracting um, the time that the claim will take. Yeah. And is, that, is there a legal obligation to fulfil that to fulfil that opportunity where an employer might not an employee might not be able to return back to his originating work long haul but he could go I mean like because in terms of intellectual property and 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 let's just say that that employer who's receiving the benefit of that work chooses to poach that employee I mean how do you manage all the other exposures that come with that well, it's tricky, but I mean, if he chooses to um, take the job with the host employer, then that um, the, the liability ceases for the pre-injury employer because he's now got another job where he's working full time. So his wages are being covered by the new employer. Sure. So once he, if he does accept a new job, then that obviously helps the pre-injury employers are legally obligated to participate in that way if that arises? Yes. Yeah, right. Exactly. What do you think of that? Well, I, I think it's a really helpful scheme because we want people participating in work and if they can't work with their pre-injury employer for whatever reason, if there's a host employer who's willing to give them suitable duties, then I think that's a really good thing because it's keeping people gainfully employed and, and active mm. and also socially active. Mm. No, I, can, uh, I, I couldn't agree more. Like socially makes complete sense. Yeah. When, you, when you put that in context of certain industries that struggle to employ and find qualified 
staff to, to, to do, to perform gainful work. Um, and you combine that with changes to the migration laws where, say for example, it's becoming harder and harder for certain industries to um, sponsor people from overseas to come and work for them. So we're being forced to, to, to deal with um, and to work with people that are available to us. But if I was to lose an employee in that way, um, that could be hard. I mean, that, that might also be just as impactful as somebody just resigning and mm. not coming back to work. Yeah, look, it's, it's a pretty unusual scenario where this particular fellow lived so far away from his employer's base. Um, we weren't going to see it very often. Most employers, most, in, most injured workers live reasonably close to their employer and most employers can provide suitable duties of some sort. Um, so it is a rare occurrence. And this um, truck driver had actually been off work for two years. So the fact that we could get him back to any sort of employment was yeah, um, amazing. a miracle. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but I suppose that, that, that might work really well if you were to say um, find a business involved in labour hire mm. where there was just a high you know, attrition and, and new employees joining, new labour workers joining, then you could immediately place them for a period of time, keep them gainfully employed, minimising the impact on the originating employer's, you know, premium liability, and then you could move them back over once they were ready to, to do long haul again. Mm -hmm. I mean, that could work quite well for the labour hire industry. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, so what next? <laughs> <laughs> what next? I could tell you that. <laughs> oh, really? We have a very exciting project on the board, but um, it's all a little bit hush-hush. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, I'm interested to know what, what like systems you use and platforms you use to communicate what you do and how, how do you keep in touch with your clients and tell me about how you interact with, with your clients. Yeah, so, um, well, we use HubSpot okay. to, to uh, keep track of all our clients and, uh, yeah, we, we keep in touch. We've got a, a client relationship manager whose role is to specifically make sure that all our clients feel the love regularly. And, um, yeah, clients are really important to us. And so we, um, we keep in touch with them and make sure that they're you know, having queries or concerns answered really quickly. All clients or specific from all industries? Is, yeah. there, is, there, uh, there's, is there no particular target client that you think would be more suitable to? No, because I say no, because injuries happen in any industry. Uh, you know, we've, we've had clients from three person administrative, it was a little PR company, to Yeah, because if the accident has meant that they can't do their pre-injury job, 
you went to have physiotherapy, you probably have maybe three sessions, and then the physio would tell you what to do at home, and you go off and you do it. Physiotherapy is expensive, uh, but with workers' comp, sometimes we see people doing you know, 80 physiotherapy sessions, and it's clearly not beneficial if they need that many sessions. So we tend to um, review physiotherapy very closely and contact, get in contact with the physiotherapist to find out after each session what the gain has been and make sure that the physiotherapist understands what our return to work plan is so that they're, um, they've got the same functional um, outcomes as we have. You know, I, um, I, know, I know a couple of the physio that I, um, that I go and see and yeah, you're right, like I have a problem, I go and see them two, three times max and I'm unless it's a major functional issue which then if I did my exercises I wouldn't need to go back and see them right that's right but one of the physios I know always promoted himself in my um, my networking group that I attended in, in a way that was I always found interesting in that he didn't he didn't buy he didn't buy it when people were just going to say that they couldn't do something because when he did the tests and he found that they could do it and that it was all in their mind or that they just genuinely didn't want to the effort into it, um, you know, he would knock a lot of those sort of claims back. Um, so I think it's a battle, I mean, because then you go to these other physio, physios that do 80 sessions with somebody and there's clearly no benefit, but they keep going back and the physio just keeps writing them the same letter and does the work and, you know, why is it that, obviously that, that industry is being paid for somehow, and, um, but there seems to be uh, a pattern of people pushing the envelope, um, no, no dissimilar to, uh, I think a, an interesting statistic I heard in insurance was that um, the typical person claims X amount more than what their, their true loss um, is, just by nature. Mm -hmm. um, I think people, and, and that might just be that people genuinely um, perceive a loss to be greater than what the actual loss is, but it could be their loss, so to them it, it probably is a greater loss. Um, but with workplace injury, given that we have a system here in this country, um, there's also room for that envelope to be pushed beyond what it should be. And, um, and I suppose your, your role and the physio's role and the GP's roles out there is to, is to guide people through that path in the shortest possible way to get mm -hmm. them back to work. But not, not everybody has that mission in mind. No, I for our industry, we're very heavily regulated by SIRA and iCare examine our outcomes and our costs very closely, whereas the costs of physios and, and GPs aren't monitored at all. And so really it's up to either the insurer or the claims manager or the rehab provider to make sure that those costs aren't You know, um, we, we deal with insurers and we deal with clients and uh, we try and strike the, the best possible connection between the two. And um, what you just said then make, uh, makes a lot of sense to me in that typically employers that pay premiums for workers' comp, um, they, they pay the premium, they have an employee and they typically have concerns around how that whole process is being managed. But you actually 
step in and manage that whole process similar to the way that I step in and manage mm-hmm. a process between an insurer and a client. You manage that for the client between the insurer and the worker. Mm-hmm. Um, so that makes a lot of sense to me. It's almost um, it, it's it's almost like the uh, yeah you, you be the eyes in, in ensuring that the best possible process is being taken um, with the minimum you know, minimal cost mm-hmm. to the employer and 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 the insurer and the worker returns to work and I think um, that there's a big social um, responsibility that you fulfil there. So yeah, that's that's really promising and, and really exciting. Yeah, amazing, Libby. So how can people get in touch with you? So they can call or they can email. So our website is www.net.au and I'm just looking up our smart 300 number because I don't know it by heart. (laughs) (laughs) It's 1300 853 681. Great. And I might just say that um, you were recommended to me. I know we've met um, potentially at a couple of different networking groups. But um, you came highly recommended to me through a client um, that I'm not sure how they got in touch with you, but they had an injured worker and they met you. And uh, shortly after, I had seen seen the insured, and they said that we had to meet, and uh, they had a great experience, and that you know I'd be silly not to get together with you and, and have a chat about what you could do for some of our clients. So um, I, I, I always uh, I always favour introductions that are like that. Oh, that's great. I mean, word of mouth is um, just can't be. So, um, getting in touch with you, get on the website, give you a call, um, and best to get in touch with you. Absolutely, yeah. I, I know all our clients and personally, and yeah, very happy to receive calls. And then what's, what, what will a client expect once they get in touch with you? I will come out and visit their workplace and, uh, yeah, start the relationship. Excellent. Because for us, it's a relationship. It's an ongoing relationship. Yeah. Yeah, we want to become part of your business and, and really partner with you. Great. Well, we're really committed to, to managing risk for clients and we look at a lot of physical stuff. We, look at, we, 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 we don't have a capacity at the moment to look at the human side, but um, I really, really like what, what you do and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to promoting you. Oh, wonderful. Thanks. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. All right. Cheers. <laughs>